0: wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
1: ES Audio.
2: From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader. I sit here now in front of you asking for a family, not an institution. I want a family. And I understand how that might be hard for them to be able to separate the two. Yes, it feels like day 3000, Prince Harry's whinging, sorry, revelations about his mistreatment at the hands of, well, pretty much everyone. But following the Duke of Sussex's latest round of interviews to promote his book Spare, will his complaints cause a dent in the British monarchy? As every schoolchild knows, the last time a Harold and a William went toe-to-toe was on the battlefield at Hastings. So let's examine the historical context of our Harry going rogue in a very public way, because doesn't all this prince-versus-prince stuff feel just a bit Game of Thrones? The relationship between um, certain members of the family and the tabloid press, those certain members have decided to get into bed with the devil. That's a clip from Harry, the interview on ITVX. As well as detailing his fractured relationship with his brother William and Father King Charles, more claims include royals leaking stories to the press and denying he accused them of racism against his wife Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, on Oprah. All this comes after revealing his alleged kill count while serving in Afghanistan. To unpick the fallout, we're first joined by royal commentator, PR expert and former editor of the international Who's Who, Richard Fitzwilliams. Richard, what's your view on the PR advice Harry's been getting?
1: I think one of the most worrying things listening to last night's interview with Tom Bradby and also reading... The extracts that have been released from Spare, which is published tomorrow, uh, is that I am not convinced that he is either getting advice or necessarily taking the advice that he's getting, Uh, it wouldn't have been possible, for example, to include a second tour of duty in Afghanistan, the number of uh, uh, the Taliban who he believes he knows he killed. I think that is uh, a security risk, and I think that he would have been advised to take that out of the book. If so, he didn't take that advice. The other issue is... What precisely does he and Meghan want to gain from this? Do they want the palace to apologise in some form? Hence the comments about uh, Lady Susan Hussein and Gozi Fulani uh, and the fact that what happened there was approved of by the Sussexes, but they resented the fact that they have so many um, complaints about the way they were treated when they were senior working royals. They believe that hasn't been addressed that the royals aren't accountable. Accountable. Do they want to use that as a springboard for Meghan in uh, Democratic Party politics? Do they want to become celebrity philanthropists? As yet, we don't know. But we do know Harry is angry, and we do know he's deeply resentful. And we know the relations between the brothers, previously thought inseparable, were pretty toxic.
2: How do you rate his ITV and CBS appearances compared to other royal
1: interviews? The Queen Mother gave an interview to a journalist uh, in 1922. George V was so shocked, it was never repeated. And, of course, the Queen, brought up in an entirely different era, never gave a direct interview to camera the other hand, this is littered with, you could say, um, metaphorical corpses, but this whole area, the Prince of Wales' is into with Jonathan Dimbleby, um, in 1994 was an absolute catastrophe. Not only was he ambiguous about his future as Supreme Head of the Church of England, but Fatefully, he admitted adultery, and it was a disastrous mistake, linked to a book of over 700 pages, which um, Dimbleby authored and where the prince blamed his parents for being cold and aloof for during his childhood and so forth. Awful. Regarding Panorama, it's interesting because we now know it was duplicitously obtained, and this was a truly shocking episode in the BBC's history, but at the time... A vast audience heard it and sympathized with it. And it was been, and I agree, uh, absolutely the case that Diana would give an interview somewhere, although not necessarily to the BBC. You have Andrew, Emily Maitlis, setting Buckingham Palace. Every single public relations student forever after is going to be, it'll be compulsory viewing how to make, an imbecile of yourself. Of
2: course, there's King Edward the Eighth and Wallace Simpson's 1970 interview.
1: Well, one has to bear in mind that it was shortly after Edward married Mrs Simpson uh, that they visited Nazi Germany. So uh, an interview... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that in 1970 by Kenneth Harris can be uh, actually rather charming. On the other hand, they were an absolutely diabolical couple, certainly potentially, given some of his uh, his views. Also, he did wait 15 years before he brought out uh, his autobiography, A King's Story, and that was controversial then, and it was turned into quite enjoyable film subsequently. But uh, there's no doubt that it was a very, very different era and the impact of Edward and Mrs. Simpson and the danger they posed to the crown just as the years progressed. Obviously, it was negligible after the way George VI had been such a brilliant symbol of national unity in the war. And also, one has had so much speculation, especially in recent decades, as to what uh, Edward the Eighth would have done had he been in that position. Do you think there's still much public sympathy for Harry? And where's Meghan in all of this? I think there'll always be an element of public sympathy for a public that remembers Harry as a twelve-year-old walking behind the coffin of his mother, and there's little doubt that was the trauma that has haunted him throughout his life, and he's been honest about that. So far as Megan is concerned, I think a lot of people see her as the uh, person who is controlling events. The point and the question we must ask is, for what purpose exactly the monarchy will continue? This won't destroy it. It will harm individual members, and they won't forget it, nor should they. But equally, there's a hypocrisy in it, because on the one hand, they talk about their own privacy and they're obsessed by it. On the other hand, what about the privacy of those who they're talking about, mentioning things that will embarrass them? Then there's the fact they weren't members of the royal family. They wouldn't have any work at the level that they're currently operating.
2: Let's go to the ads. Coming up, Royal Historian Dr. Ed Owens on Regal Brothers' blood feuds through the ages. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime?
0: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Forgiveness is 100% a possibility
2: because I would like to get my father back. I would like to have my brother back. They've shown absolutely no willingness to reconcile up until this point. And I'm not sure how honesty is burning bridges. You know, silence only allows the abuser to abuse. Now we're joined by royal historian, Dr Ed Owens, author of The Family Firm, Monarchy Mass Media, and The British Public, 1932 to 53. Ed, what's your take on the impact of these latest interviews?
3: The biggest story here, I think, is the breakdown of the relationship between the two brothers. Prince Harry isn't coming out of this very well at the moment. There's been a lot of criticism of him by the right-wing press in the UK. But equally, I don't think Prince William is coming out of this particularly well either. According to Harry, in terms of his narrative, William, or Willie as he refers to him in the book, has a foul temper, has been physically aggressive towards his brother, verbally abusive. According to Harry, William was at best hung over on the morning of his his wedding to, to Kate Middleton, at worst still drunk. And of course, there was also the allegation made in the in the Netflix documentary, that whereas Prince Harry had been permitted to marry for love because of his station, there were other me- members of his family. And here he alluded to his father and his brother who hadn't been able to marry for love. And that, that casts a shadow, I think, over the idealised family image that that has been worked up around uh, William and Kate for so long, and yet at the same time, Harry has been loath to to really point fingers and really level a direct criticism at certain members of the family. There are certainly things that I think that he's holding
2: back. And if we look way back into the history books, what other examples are there of feuding royal brothers?
3: So if we go back to the early medieval period, uh, we're talking here eleven hundreds to twelve hundred. There are plenty of examples. Of, of warring brothers, of brothers who have uh, laid claim to the throne, only to then find that they've been challenged either by a, a younger brother or a cousin. I give you the example, for example, of, uh, of Henry I and the Duke of Normandy. In 1106, uh, Henry I defeated his own brother, Robert of Normandy, his, o- his oldest brother, and then imprisoned him in Cardiff, where he he lay for 29 years. Uh, and this was Henry's way of, of teaching the unruly Duke of, of of Normandy a lesson for wanting to, to take over England. Because the way that the, the kingdoms had been divided up was that Henry would would run England, whereas, whereas Robert would get Normandy. That's just one example of how tensions and uh, the different ambitions of brothers has led to warring and, and fractiousness in the past.
2: When we're all being hit by the cost of living crisis, do you think there's a touch of posh people moaning about some of Harry's grievances?
3: There are a lot of people in the UK that see Harry as essentially an attention seeking individual who is creating problems for the British royal family at a time when ordinary members of the public have much bigger worries uh, on their plate in terms of, of things like the cost of living crisis. And I think if we, if we boil things down, clearly, Harry, since his departure from the British royal family, has had to maintain uh, a lavish uh, lifestyle. He's, he's lived in great privilege all his all his life. That's not something he was going to give up on. So, partly these exposés are financially motivated. Let's be in no doubt of that he's getting paid huge amounts of money for his interviews, for his memoir. And I think he's also got an eye on the long term, in that this story is only fresh for so long. So he's got to make it sell now. But yet, at the same time, there is a human drama here, and. I have to say that I, I sympathise with Harry's complaint that he was treated poorly by other members of the, the British royal family. I think that was true. And I think as well as having certain scores to settle, he wants um, his uh, interpretation of events to be out there, to make sure that we consider that interpretation of events when trying to to, to really uh, reach the truth of what happened and why he split ways with the rest of the House of Windsor. I think he also wants an apology because he feels that he was unfairly treated and that members of his his family, notably his old brother William and his father King Charles, that they haven't done enough to stick up for him.
2: Finally, Ed, do you think this will spark any appetite for constitutional reform, or is the monarchy essentially bulletproof?
3: The British monarchy certainly isn't bulletproof, um, but nor is this a constitutional crisis on the scale of the 1936 abdication crisis, and nor do I think it's yet as severe as the, the damage done to the monarchy by the War of the Waleses in the early and, and mid-1990s. The, the panorama interview with Diana in 1995 was particularly shocking, much more shocking uh, than anything that has come out so far from Harry. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, what comes next? Has Harry got more damaging revelations up his sleeve? If so, what would that do to the monarchy? And at the same time, sort of what, what is the end game here? Uh, is there a reconciliation on the cards i've consistently said that i think that it's in the interest of both sides that the that the bridges aren't entirely burnt that communication uh, is kept open and that there is the possibility of reconciliation because the way this does become a constitutional crisis is if if harry doesn't stop is if if he seeks to completely undermine the institution by continuing uh, to divulge revelations, make allegations that undermine public trust and confidence in the House of Windsor. Um, so it remains to be seen what, what else is to come out uh, from the prince, or whether having, if you like, spoken out, told his interpretation of events, he now parks this part of his life and he looks instead to the future, because one must hope that you know, there's something else for, for Harry and Meghan beyond uh, the British royal family and the breakdown of their relationship with the British royal family.
2: more on this story in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's the leader. We're back on Tuesday at 4pm.
0: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And the fight for the premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
1: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from
3: Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.